Wow, that's so true that God is a God of the impossible. In fact, isn't that what we have in creation is an act of the impossible, right? Amen? Unless you're an evolutionist today, in which case, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> because, um, you know, uh, it takes way more faith, almost crazy, ludicrous faith to believe that out of nothing, some kind of big, big bang happened and then we have everything in perfect, brilliant order. It it's, uh, just doesn't happen. But um, what does happen is God does miracles. We are so happy to have one of our veteran missionaries uh, here today, Brother Jim White, and he uh, has had a great ministry in Togo, and God's been changing his field of service. Now, uh, missionaries usually have um, display tables that they like to bring with them. He wasn't able to bring his display table today, but he brought some extra prayer cards, a stack of prayer cards if you'd like to get one of those. I really want to encourage everyone uh, to give full attention, listen with all your heart to uh, the preaching today. Uh, if you can possibly resist the urge to uh, leave the auditorium, please don't leave, stay here, uh, listen to what God has. Uh, there'll be plenty of time to leave afterward. Uh, Brother White, would you come, please, and uh, preach the Word of God. God bless you, sir. Thank you very much. Well, it is a pleasure to be back. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to look to the book of Joel. The last time I came through, I think it was, let's see, about four years ago, um, we had just had our very first baby, my wife and I, and now we have a four-and-a-half, a three-and-a-half, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So God has been good. Many surprises, mainly the second and third child, but God has been good to us, and we are very thankful. Um, God saved me when I was four years old. I called my mom into my bedroom. I was crying. And uh, she said, what are you crying about? I said, I'm afraid I'm going to die and go to hell. And uh, it's a lot for a little four-year-old boy. I wasn't out robbing banks or slashing tires or beating up elderly people, but I knew that I was a sinner. And my mom led me to the Lord. And uh, that was 36 years ago. And uh, I'm so grateful. The Bible says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And uh, a couple years later, I felt like God wanted me to be a missionary. And all I kept thinking about is it's not fair that people will live their entire lives and die and never get to hear that same message that my mom shared with me. And I was like, somebody should go. And then I thought, why not me? Why can't I go? Then I became a teenager. My dad had retired out of the Navy, and he used to say I was a recruiter. And then he would sing the Navy theme anthem, Anchors Away, My Boy, and said, I can take you down to the Navy recruiter right now. We can sign you up. I said, no, Dad. I said, I'm not supposed to go in the Navy. I said, I'm supposed to be a missionary. And uh, went off to Bible college, graduated, came up to your beautiful country, which was all white at the time, Quebec. And uh, nothing but like 18 or 27,000 feet of snow. And uh, studied up there and then went over to Africa and served for 12 years. And uh, first term I was single, went back the second term with my wife. Um, she has a great testimony, got saved. Her mother led her to the Lord when she was little, about four years old. And she went off to Bible college, earned a degree in elementary education, taught for five years at a Christian school, and thought, I love the Lord, I just want to do whatever He wants me to do. And that was teaching for five years. And then she met me, and over a cup of coffee, she fell madly in love. So I'd like to thank 
I'd like to think. I think she probably has glaucoma or something. But um, uh, we got married in 2011. She finished teaching. Uh, her contract ended in May of 2011. She drove from Florida to Oregon with her dad in July. No, in June, July, we got married, and in August of 2011, we were in Africa. So she went literally from being a school teacher, just a normal churchgoer like most everybody in here, to four months later being in Africa. And I'd love to say she hit the ground. She's like, praise the Lord, I love this place. But uh, her face hit the pillow, and she cried many nights. It was a different place. Um, she often would say, nobody comes to Togo to visit. Nobody comes to Togo to vacation. It's not a paradise. It's a third world country. It's different. It, there are struggles. And um, she also said the reason why we're here is because we have a purpose. And it was so exciting to see that purpose fulfilled when we'd go out and we'd share uh, John and Romans with people and tracts, and we'd open up the scripture and we'd go through and talk about Nicodemus and how you can know for sure that when you die that you're going to heaven. And that was what our purpose was, was to go and share the gospel with people who have maybe never heard before. And uh, we had a lot of exciting things that happened. Got chased by elephants, thankfully never chased by a spear. Um, God blessed. Uh, we, we went from having church in our gazebo to having church really kind of under a little shanty with a dirt floor where the chickens ran in on Sundays and goats and you're taking stones and flicking them, trying to get them out. When it rained, you know, everybody went to one side of the church and if it rained the other direction, you went to the other side. If it came from both directions, you sat in the middle until the rain went by. Um, it was crazy, but you know, we got to see God do some amazing things and we saw people get saved and and uh, many, many people got baptized. There was this one lady, and she is about 65 years old, and she wanted, she had gotten saved and was faithfully coming to church and wanted to get baptized. Crazy place that you live where you have to go talk to your family members to see if you get baptized, but that's how the culture was, so she had to go and... She had to talk to the elders of the family. Well, most of the true elders were dead by now, so it was really her nephews, not so much her real uncles, and she had to get their permission. And so they said, sure, if you really want to get baptized, you can, but you need to ask your brother and get his permission too. So her brother lived with him, and he's blind, and uh, she takes care of him, and she said, I want to get baptized. And he said, no, I don't want you to get baptized. I don't want you to leave our traditional religion of voodoo and animism. Um, I want you to stay in that. And she said, well, I don't want to stay in that. I want to abandon that. I want to abandon all my idols, and I want to follow after Jesus, and I want to get baptized. And he said, no. And so um, we had Monday night prayer service at my house underneath our gazebo uh, for years and years. And so she would come, and she said, just pray for my brother that his heart will change. And so the day came to get baptized, and she was there, and she was ready, and I didn't have time to speak to her beforehand. And so we went out to the outside the church. There was this uh, water basin that we used to construct the other buildings, and when nobody was looking, I tossed in five bleach tablets to kill anything that might be living in the water because inevitably the first person that goes down, water splashes up into your mouth. So um, she was ready. She was ready to get baptized. So I baptized her, and then after the service, I was talking about, to her, and I said, so your brother finally changed his mind. She said, nope, he didn't. I ultimately decided that it was more important for me to obey God than it was for me to obey my brother. A wise preacher once said, if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease, but if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. And uh, she went against her family that day. And, you know, spring came around and it was time to start planting harvests. And if she needed 
she needed fertilizer for her field or if she ever got sick and needed money for malaria medicine, she would have to go to her family and her family could technically turn against her and say, you know, we told you not to do this and you did it anyway, so because of that, we're not going to help you. So it wasn't simply, hey, I'm going to disobey my brother. It was, hey, I'm turning against my family and when I need help, they may not be there to help me. But she was willing to risk that because she wanted to obey God. And it was so exciting to see different people. I could stand up here all morning and tell you about people who have gotten saved, people who have made hard decisions like that, people who have grown in their faith. Um, we got to see some amazing things. Uh, we were sad to leave. We left this summer after having lived there for 12 years, pastoring a church and planting another church. We handed them both over to national pastors. And uh, I want to thank you folks. I want to thank you for having a part in our ministry. I want to thank you for giving. I don't want you to ever think that your mission's dollars didn't matter, that they didn't make a difference, because they did. There are many people saved in Togo. There's a church that exists today that did not exist a couple years ago. And it's because you folks gave. Thank you for that. Please remember your missionaries. Please pray for them. Um, they are very thankful for all that you do. Um, we did bring, we, I, uh, the rest of my family's not here, sadly. They're down in uh, just south of Portland, Oregon. But I brought some prayer cards. If you want to see an updated photo of them, I promise you, these are real people. These are not actors or actresses. They were not hired for this photo. These are my uh, children and my wife. And uh, we, we have a video on our website. It explains a little bit more about Togo and about the transition to Martinique. Uh, long story short, nothing is changing except for the location. We are church planners with a focus on evangelization. And that's what we want to do. We want to get down into Martinique. We're leaving French-speaking Togo to go to French-speaking Martinique. So if you would, pray with us real quickly before we get into God's Word. Two uh, prayer requests that we have. The first one is pray that God will meet our needs. We need to raise a little bit more money. It's more expensive to live on the island. Uh, we are paying, oh, I want to say $5 a gallon, four liters uh, of fuel uh, in Togo. And I thought that was expensive. And now on the island, it's going to be close to eight. Um, I don't know. Do we have Walmarts up here? Uh, like, of course we do. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get away from it. Unless you go to Togo, West Africa, then you can. You get away from everything there. You ever go get those roaster chickens at Walmart? You know, my wife calls them picking chickens because as soon as they get home, everybody's picking on them. Um, they're like five or six bucks. Down there on the island, they're like 15 bucks. So uh, it's expensive. It's expensive. In Togo, we lived out in the village. It was like $250 a month to rent a place. We were blessed. On the island, it's like 1600 So we need to raise about 20% more. Please pray that God will meet that need. Our goal is is uh, next fall uh, to be down in Martinique. The second prayer request is that God will give us our um, visas that we need to live in country. Uh, Martinique is a state of France. So very much whatever Hawaii would be to the United States is what Martinique is to uh, France. So you kind of have to go through all of the French documentation, and if you know anything about the French, they can be complicated, somewhat convoluted. It's, it can be difficult. So just pray that God gives us wisdom and clarity as we go through that. So again, thank you for letting us be your missionaries. Thank you for letting us serve uh, with you in Togo, West Africa, being your representatives there. And uh, thank you for letting us now be your missionaries to Martinique. Um, hopefully we'll get more of you to come visit the Caribbean island of Martinique. Uh, that seems more appealing than the continent of Africa, I guess. But 
I don't know why. I hope that was my water and I didn't steal somebody else's. All right, so Joel, Joel chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses. The Bible says this. Um, Therefore also... Now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come to your house and to worship. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would give me the strength and the words that I need. I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd move across this auditorium and that you'd move pew to pew, seat to seat, and heart to heart. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in our lives, and I pray that you'd be glorified. Lord, thank you for your word and how it can change. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and give us the strength to be willing to let it change us. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So I think what we should do is understand more of the context. You go back to Israel, and Israel is kingless at this time in its history. And it's looking at other nations, and it's seeing that they have physical kings. And they said, God, we want a physical king. And God said, no, no, I want to be your, your king. And they said, no, 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 give us, give us a physical king. And God said, if I give you a physical king, what he's going to do is he's, he's going to take your daughters, and he's going to marry them. He's going to take your sons, and he's going to ship them off to war. They said, that's okay, give us a physical king. So God allowed them to choose, and they chose who? Saul. And he was a wicked man. And, and Saul dies, and God had chosen David, and David comes in. And it's interesting, because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Why it's interesting is because he was essentially a murderer and adulterer. But yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. How could that be? Well, the Bible also says that what? A just man falls seven times, but rises up to walk again. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because every time he fell, he repented and he came back to God. And God used him in a great way. And so David passes away, and then you have Solomon. And Solomon comes onto the throne, and God had given him something that he had given no other man. He had given him this gift of wisdom. Do you realize that you can have wisdom and not always apply it? Do you realize that we have God's word, the wisdom, and yet we don't always apply it in our lives? And so he has this wisdom, and, and God says, hey, listen, Solomon, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to marry these strange women, these foreign women, and bring them into your nation. Because if you do, what they're going to do is they're going to turn your heart against me. And he sat back and he thought about it, and then he did what he wanted to do. How many times do we know what truth is, but we justify or manipulate to get around what the truth is, what God's word is, to get what we want? And so what he did was he started marrying these women, and he started bringing them in, and I have to think that he was probably justifying. He said, you know what, if, if I marry this princess over here, then I'll have a peace alliance with this nation. And if I go over here and I marry this princess, then I'll have good trade relations. And so he started marrying all of these women and he started bringing them in and his nation was growing and it was powerful and it was strong. But the truth is he was compromising to get all of that. And if he had just obeyed God, God would have given him all of that and more. But he manipulated to get less. And sure enough, what happened? Well, his heart was turned against God because these women 
were foreigners. They didn't worship the one and true God. They worshiped false gods. And they, they started bringing in their idols. And they started bringing in their false religions. And they started bringing in their high priests. And then they started building tabernacles. And Solomon started giving money to build these false temples. And God's heart was angered. And he said, because of your sin, Solomon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fracture your nation. But out of love and respect for your dad, David, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till after you die. So Solomon dies, and God fractures Israel. So you have Israel, the ten nations, or the, the ten tribes to the north, and then the second part that broke away was Judah to the south with two tribes. Now, how does that tie in with Joel? Well, Joel was a prophet of God, and he was a prophet to the nation of Judah. Now, we don't know a lot about Joel. We don't really know the time frame that he was prophesying. What we do know is that his message was powerful, and it was applicable for even today. The message was that you needed to repent and that you needed to come back to God because He loved you. And if you didn't, what He's going to do is He's going to chase you down and He's going to bring you back because He loves you. And so he has this message, and, and some people, you know, they, they think that maybe it was post-exile that he was giving this message. So that would be Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, after that time. Personally, I think it was about ten kings into the, the kingdom of Judah. And that would come to the king Uzziah, and, and he was a good king, and he reigned for 52 years. And, and during this time, God was blessing the nation, and it was growing, and it was powerful, and it was strong. And, you know, they were having bumper crops, and the goats were having three goats, and the cows were having two cows, you know. Just everything was going well, and God was blessing. It's interesting what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. You've got to go back a little bit earlier. The, the children of Israel haven't even come into the promised land yet. Israel hasn't been formed yet. And so Moses is sitting back with Joshua, and he's looking into the promised land, and he says in Deuteronomy, God is going to give you everything he's promised, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. He said, when you get in there, there's going to be houses you didn't build. He said, you're going to have wells you didn't dig. There's going to be trees producing fruit that you're going to pluck the fruit that you didn't plant. He said, you're going to have all of these amazing things. He says this, and he says, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. What he said is, hey, God is going to bless you. And in that moment of blessing, there's going to be an opportunity for you to slip into apathy and kind of forget what God has done for you. He said, at that moment, don't forget God. And so what was happening here is, is you've got this perfect storm of you've got a generation, ten generations of idolatry that was imported in by Solomon and his wives. And, and the nation is slipping into this idolatry. But at the same time, there's a wave of, of prosperity that's hitting too. And God's saying, hey, look, Joel, go tell this nation they need to come back to me. They have run far from me. And if they don't come back to me, then I will chastise them and I will bring them back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 is a reiteration of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. And it says this, and many of you probably know it, for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son. That's the key word. Every son whom he receiveth. He loved Judah and he wanted Judah to come back. Think about it with me. Why did God create Adam and Eve? He said every day his presence would manifest itself in the garden and he'd walk with them. He created them to walk with him. What did he, 
Why did he bless Enoch so much? Because he walked with God for 300 years. What did he want from Judah? For them to walk with him. Now this is the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does he want from us? For us to just walk with him each and every day. So what did he say? Well, he said in chapter 1, he said, look, through Joel, he said, hey, if you don't come back to me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send in this plague of locusts, gigantic grasshoppers that are going to fly in and they're going to consume everything in Judah. And then if you still don't, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dry up all of your water sources. I'm going to send in a massive famine. And then if you still don't turn to me in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, he says, I'm going to send in an invasion, a big army, and they're going to take you into captivity. The reality is God didn't want to judge them. God simply wanted them to walk with him. This morning's message is very simple. It's we need revival. Each and every Christian need revival. And I know oftentimes when we think of revival, maybe the older generation thinks of like a week-long you know, time where we come in and we have this, this preaching of the Scripture and people are getting saved right and left. But the reality is revival is not for the lost people. Revival is for the Christians. Do we know the difference between resurrection and revival? Resurrection is to be made alive. And that's what happens. We were all dead in our sin. And the moment we invited Jesus into our heart, the Bible says that He quickened us. He made us alive. That was resurrection. Now what we need as Christians is we don't need to be resurrected. What we need is revival. That is the power of God on our lives again. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Do you remember how excited you were? Man, I could evangelize the paint off a wall. Seriously, I was so excited to just share the gospel with everybody. I remember being six years old, sitting on a school bus. I didn't know Bible verses, but I knew enough to tell the kid next to me that I was a sinner and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And if you'll do the same thing, he'll forgive you of your sins and you get to go to heaven. That's all I knew how to say. Little boy accepted Jesus in his heart, went home and told his mom and dad, you need to get saved too. Do you remember that excitement you once had? before the devil quenched it, before the devil oppressed it. We need revival again. We need an excitement. We need a zeal again for the things of God. Well, how's it going to happen? Well, biblically, there's, there's at least two things. We're going to look at two things, and then we'll be done this morning. How do we have true revival in our lives? The first way is by experiencing God. We need to turn to God. We need to turn to God. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your... Okay, you can participate. We'll try it again. Turn to me with all your heart. Such a great word. All your heart. This is your heart, not this. This, your heart. He says, what does the Bible say? If you seek me, you shall find me. If you seek me with all your heart. It's a true sincerity. I love my wife, I love my children, and, and I've had to travel a lot this fall, and I've got to visit with a lot of good churches, but it means that I don't always get to travel with my kids who are down in Oregon with my wife, and, and the thing that I love opposed to 12 years, 15 years ago is technology. You can pull out your phone and you can FaceTime your family. And so I love talking to my wife and seeing how she's doing and, and finding out, you know, the good and the bad that's happened in the day. And if she's frustrated, just listening to her vent or if she's excited, you know, talking to her about stuff or whatever it might be. It's just good to talk to her. 
But the truth is, I can't get on the phone and spend two and a half minutes with her every day and then hang up and expect my relationship to be vibrant. I need to spend more time with my wife than that. The reality is we can't pick up our cup of joe and open up the Bible for a quick two and a half minutes in the morning and expect to have a true, vibrant relationship with God. It's not always about quantity, it's about quality, but it's tough to get quality without the quantity. So you've got to seek after God. Well, if we're going to turn to God, there's at least two things that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do is we need to auto-examine. We need to examine ourselves. And, and as, as you may know, a good teacher knows this. A good teacher will always ask themselves at least two questions. They'll look at themselves and they'll say, what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's helping my students truly understand the material and assimilate? What am I doing that's working? And then they'll ask themselves the other question, what am I doing that's not working? What can I change? Now the reality is these are great questions for every Christian. We need to sit down and every morning pray and say, God, what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's helping me to become more like you and help me to continue with that? And then secondly, Lord, what am I doing that's not working? What am I doing that's causing me to become more like you? What am I stumbling over? You know what the psalmist said in chapter 26, verse 1 through 2? He said this. He says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. I love these verbs. Listen to these verbs. Judge me. Try me, examine me, and prove me. That's what we need to pray every morning. God, look into my soul and judge me and examine me. Is there any wickedness in me? Is there anything holding me back? Years ago, I participated on a swim team, and one of the things that my coach, my coach was always a crazy coach. He made us do insane things. And one of the things he made us do was dress in full blue jeans and a T-shirt and swim an entire week with full clothes on. Has anybody ever jumped in a swimming pool fully clothed before? It's really tough to stay afloat, yet alone actually do 4,000 yards of swimming uh, in you know, a span of two and a half hours, but that was my coach. You know, I think about life, and, and the Bible says that our life is like a race, and those clothes were holding me back. They were so soaked in with everything that was around me that I could not effectively swim a race. The truth is we need to be careful that we don't allow the world to so soak in and saturate our lives that it becomes a crippling obstacle in our life. What we need to do is we need to turn to God. Examine yourself and say, God, judge me and try me. Second thing we need to do is we've got to humble ourselves. That, that was the concept behind the whole fasting, weeping, and mourning. Was, it was symbolic of giving over your mind, your emotion, your will. You're saying, God, everything that I have is yours. I am submitting everything again, and I am repenting of all of my sins. We need to turn to God. The second thing that we need to do if we're going to have true revival is we need to turn to God. Let me get to the right page. I forgot to staple my notes today. We need to turn to God. By rending our hearts. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn to the Lord your God, 
for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. You know, it's really interesting. The word rend, it's this old English word, and it means to tear. And, and when you start thinking about it in the Old Testament, you've got Job, and he's going through this affliction in his life, and his family, you know, his children have passed away, his animals are dying, and he's got these plagues on his body, and, and he's struggling. And the Bible says that he, he rent his clothes, and he shaved his head and put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and then you get to Jonah. When Jonah eventually obeyed, he went to the king of Nineveh, and the king of Nineveh, he rent his clothes as well, and he, he shaved his head and put on sackcloth and ashes. Does anybody know what November 1st is? It's All Saints Day. So in Togo, what would happen is the Catholics would go out with their machetes, their coop coops, and, and they'd go into the, the cemeteries and they'd cut down all the weeds. And then they'd go in with whitewash, lime and water, and they'd paint all of the headstones and the sepulchers and they'd put a nice little candle there. And for about two days, the cemetery was nice and clean. And so on November 1st, it always reminded me of that story that Jesus had when he went by the, the, uh, the Pharisees and he looked at them and he said, you guys are like whited sepulchers. Do you remember that? He said, you're like whited sepulchers. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're nothing but dry bones. See, they were doing everything right. They were very religious. They were very spiritual. They, were, they had scripture tied around their neck and, and they were dressing the part and they were going to the synagogues and they were studying and, and they were going to the temple and they were giving their tithe to the storehouse and they were praying and they were doing everything right. And so when they encountered Jesus and he looked at them on the outside, they had, every, they had ticked every box to say they were doing right. And then Jesus looked right through them and said, you're nothing but dead bones inside. Joel comes on the scene and he says to Judah, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. He said, God is not looking for this outward change without an inward change. What God wants is he wants your heart first. And when he has your heart, there will be change on the outside. How many times have you ever seen a seed grow from the outside inward? It always blooms from the inside outward. What we need to do is we need to give our hearts to God. Why? Because he's gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and he's of great kindness. He wants to walk with us. But we have to be willing to go to him and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been carrying the secret sin in my life. Would you please take it from me and forgive me? It's not because we need to be saved again. It's that we need a restoration of our relationship with Jesus. We need to say, hey, look, this sin, this barrier that I've had in between me and you, would you take it and cast it out of my way and help me to live for you again? The truth is God desperately wants you to walk with him. He loves you. Look at verse 32 as we get ready to close. The Bible says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I love this. It's very similar to the New Testament where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was very much focused to unbelievers, those who have not already believed on the name of Jesus and been saved. It says, If you will call on His name, He will save you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know He knows you. And He loves you. And He died on the cross for you. And salvation really is simple. It's as simple as you admitting you're a sinner and believing on His name. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to decide you want to be saved. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done. 
It's by Him and by His grace and by His mercy. But when we get to this verse in 32, it's, it's slightly different. It doesn't say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. This is not for the unsaved. This is for His children. This is for Judah. And it's saying, hey, look, I understand that you've been walking in sin, but if you come back to me, I will deliver you. I will rescue you. Rescue you from what? I'll rescue you from the plagues that are coming, from, from the drought that's coming, and from the army that's coming. And if you come back to me, I will drive that army so far away from you that they will know that the king of Judah drove them back. God loves you. And he wants to walk with you. Somebody once said this to me. They said, has there ever been a time in your life where you've been closer to God than you are today? Has there ever been a time in your life where... You are closer to God than you are today. Because if there is, that means you've backslidden. God doesn't want us to backslide. I want to encourage you today. Grow closer to God.